0: Hello, hi John. Hi Dan. How are you? I'm I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. It looked like you were performing somewhere last night. My brother, oh, uh, my brother, and I, or something like that.
1: Yeah, my brother, my brother, and I, the famous podcast. Yeah, um, uh, they were playing in town, and uh, you know the, uh, their theme song is a song by me. And uh, <clears throat> so they said, "Why don't you come and play the?" intro the theme to our show (laughs) in person and i said that's a fun idea yeah so i did i did i went and i did that and it was fun i like those young men they're very funny and fun and we sat around backstage and lots of laughs and uh i enjoyed their show and tonight they're 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 doing another show here in Seattle where they play Dungeons and Dragons with their dad. Both shows sold out a theater that is what, 2600 capacity? I don't know. That's well, I'm not asking. I'm just I'm just throwing numbers up into the sky. Oh. What is it? I mean, it's seated. I don't know what the seated capacity is, but it's there it's the largest theater in town that you can do a thing like that. So pretty impressive podcast. Yeah. Enterprise.
0: Yeah. They're yeah. doing they're doing something right over there.
1: Yeah, they're doing something. They're, they're doing well.
0: Well for themselves. Yeah. Those young upstarts. Jerks bunch of jerks. Always what, win, uh, what, always winning.
1: <clears throat> what about you? You're uh you're you're uh, uncharacteristically late to the game today?
0: Yeah, I had a I had a a lunch meeting that I knew was going to go long and it did and Mhm. Did you accomplish the things that? Nah, you
1: set nothing. Out to nothing's
0: ever accomplished. Nothing is ever yeah. accomplished. That's just the way it is for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you want you okay. go in and you think oh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get some stuff done, and then no, nothing gets done.
1: Nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. No, I had a long phone call the other day, an onboarding call. They described it
0: <laughs> with a with from a sponsor. Yeah, yeah, and, that's the uh, worst.
1: And uh, it was just like why why. Why am I here?
0: Um, and nothing was accomplished. No. Totally not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what else is going on nothing. in the world? There? That's it. You want to wrap up this episode? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, no, I don't. I don't have anything big this week. The last couple of weeks, I feel like I've led with some kind of premise or topic or something and uh-huh. now today i have i have almost nothing almost really? nothing yeah i'm super <laughs> i'm super tired I and mean, that's a that's a thing you're a, that i'm feeling you're
1: a dry well today
0: yeah i know i'm gonna, I'm gonna be leaning <laughs> leaning on you
1: oh all right well then okie doke uh you know i never come i never come with anything to say or do
0: i mean you want to talk uh, about the tattoo that you just got
1: Oh, oh, you're thinking of, uh, you're thinking of inception, John.
0: Oh, okay. Well, we talked about tattoos once in the past and, uh, I didn't know if you'd revisited that for your, on your own or thought about it or considered it or anything. What?
1: Getting a tattoo? Yeah. Dan, if I were going to consider getting a tattoo and I, and I did for many years, Between the years of 1986 and 19, let's say 96, Uh (laughs) that 10 year period was a long time during which tattoos, uh, experienced a a dramatic explosion of popularity. Mm -hmm. I was right in the center of the culture of people who were all deciding that tattoos were what they had always wanted and what they now needed. Tattoos were getting put on right and left. All around me i was in a i was in a uh dust devil of tattoos <laughs> yeah, right in the center of them, and they were flinging around and at no point in time did I decide that a tattoo was uh, was uh, would suit me. I never decided that a tattoo would suit me, and f- from that time forward, there was no subsequent like Great explosion, subsequent second explosion of popularity of tattoos, tattoos just expand. It was like one of those, you know, those, the, the old films of the test shots of small nuclear weapons where Mm -hmm. it kind of, you know, there's a flash and then it expands outward and then it just keeps like, you see the shock wave and then the cloud just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Oh yeah. That's what tattoos were from about 1990 on. Hmm. Uh, but like the wave, the wave passed me by and it's not, I mean, I, so 1990, what I was, um, 20 ish. The first friend I had that got a tattoo, I was, I was still in high school. His name was James Swainson. He's still, I, he's still alive. James Swainson. And <laughs> I still know him. We see each other on Instagram. Uh, James got a, a tattoo on his forearm of a skull mm. smoking a joint.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a classic, classic one was, to get.
1: It was great. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Because that was a powerful statement to roll into high school. Oh, yeah.
0: High school. Pff, yeah. No one was ready for that. But James
1: was very his own man. Um, and, um, and you know, he he didn't feel bound by the same conventions that I felt no bound by. And then I've told the story of, of going into a tattoo parlor in Boulder, Colorado and asking for a tattoo. And I wasn't yet 18. And so the tattoo artist was like, you gotta be 18. You mm. Come back." And I was a week away from being 18. I, he said, you gotta come back after you're 18. Because it was a tattoo parlor right on the hill there in Boulder, just like r- basically right off campus. And so I guess the tattoo artist knew not to give 17-year-olds tattoos. I don't know. It doesn't I – 17-year-olds all around seem to have tattoos now. Maybe it was just a rule. Maybe he just thought I was an idiot. But by the time I had turned 18, I thought my tattoo idea was bad. <laughs> the idea that I thought was really cool when I went in there – <clears throat> a week or 10 days later I was like that was a stupid idea and ever since then I guess no idea has has gotten it has gotten any better I mean I could I suppose I could get like pay me tattooed on my palm like like Jesse James the motorcycle builder mm-hmm. or I could get you know uh Love, hate across my knuckles. Yeah. Um, uh, sort of like like that character and uh, do the right thing. Except he had rings, not tattoos. Yeah. I know. I just I have a lot of friends who are covered in tattoos, just covered in them, mm-hmm. covered. Mm. Um, but I'm still just just virgin yeah, just here a virgin. you are here you just are tattoo less virgin i think it's always been Dan, that i i i hope that if they ever fish my body out of the hudson river
0: <laughs> yeah
1: that they will have a difficult
0: time identifying me that's why I, you that's why you I, don't I, want the
1: yeah i want that to be
0: a problem for them <laughs> for, if, <laughs> i if, think if, it would. If, they, well they've got they've got teeth, right?
1: Well, no, I mean if they, if they fish my headless handless body out of the Hudson River
0: Oh, right Like whatever twists
1: and turns that my life would have to take in order to have me end up decapitated and without my hands thrown into the Hudson River mm-hmm. I I would like to continue the mystery mm-hmm. and not give the police an easy <laughs> Even solution. for the benefit
0: of your Fans, family, loved ones, that's...
1: No, it's much better for everyone to wonder what happened than it is to to have that kind of glorious I don't know if if
0: people would agree with you on that.
1: He was identified by his love-hate knuckle tattoos.
0: Right. Boo. It is time to say thank you very much to Squarespace. Beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Powerful e-commerce functionality. It lets you sell anything online. The ability to customize the look and feel settings, products, and more with just a few clicks and everything optimized for mobile right out of the box. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Squarespace, the place to go to make an amazing website. They even have domains. I've told you about that before. I'm telling you again, because it's awesome. 200 extensions available to you. They've got built-in analytics. They've got built-in search engine optimization. They've got secure hosting. You never have to patch anything. The 24-7 award-winning customer support. Make it yourself. Make it stand out. Do it all with Squarespace. So go to squarespace.com slash roadwork for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, you use the offer code roadwork, one word, roadwork. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain or both. Why not get both? Thanks very much to Squarespace for making this show possible.
1: He was identified by the Mr. Yuck's... St- st- sticker that he had tattooed on his arm in 1986 yeah
0: you had talked about the mr yuck and we Uh, we we talked about where where did we talk about mr yuck um let me find that
1: it was a terrible tattoo idea and it goes goes right into the family of terrible tattoo ideas
0: episode 35 recorded and released july 8th 2016 john joins dan uh to open the history books about minesweeper john's lack of tattoos leather pants buying motorcycles radioactive salt mines the Yucca Mountain nuclear waste repository living your dreads joining the rugby team and Harley Davidson
1: sure we could just have that same episode just again do it today again.
0: it's been 2 years ah.
1: yeah i mean yeah, i think i probably in that uh, in that episode i have no recollection but i think i probably mentioned that i that i always regretted not getting
0: uh,
1: uh, my ear pierced
0: i'm sure you did for a long time, I it's not. Too, but not this is the ear thing: ears. it's not too late. No, it's too late. Why?
1: Well, it's too late because my character is established, and I don't.
0: You mean, said like, that before. You said Tom Waits is a character. You said I feel like your character can evolve. You don't have to be that one way anymore. What does that say to listeners who are listening to this show for for inspiration and support? And you're there saying, "I am what I am. I, I just I can't change it, even if I want to change." Because I am a thing and I must be that thing.
1: That's not what I'm saying, but I believe that you, you, um, at least in my case, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I am evolving along a path and it is entirely possible. And people do it all the time to completely and utterly reinvent themselves. Sure. I, I could show up tomorrow with a backwards baseball cap on and some Oakley blade sunglasses and the keys to a quad Velociraptor four-wheel off-road vehicle, and I could start, and I could be chewing tobacco, and I could say, "Let's get her done." Yes, but that would be an invalid adoption of a of a completely other value system, right? It would not be a reinvention. It would be, uh, it would be a a sh- uh, like a sham, a, a crime sham. And although that seems exaggerated, I feel like there are a lot of instances where people decide they want to reinvent and they do something just as ridiculous, you know, to, to decide that you're going to adopt a completely – if you're adopting a persona mm-hmm. that is the product of a value system, well, it's not just a reinvention – It's an adoption of a completely new system of values. And if you have so little a system of values in you that you can adopt a different system of values, like whole cloth, Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's not me. Yeah. Like I would question I would question anyone who was like, well, now I believe, you know, now I'm a Rastafarian and it's like, <laughs> really what happened in your life that could, that could have provoked such an incredible transformation? Oh, I just wanted to just change it up. It's like, no, Rastafarianism is a, is a life credo. And, and for you to, to adopt it, you would have had to have had a lightning bolt moment where you realize that Jah in the, person of Haile Selassie is the one true king of Africa. You can't just like enjoy the music of steel pulse and decide you're (laughs) going to just change it up, you know? So I do see that happen. I do see people pivot and just basically try to erase and start over, but that requires that they had no investment in their system of values, uh, which is a thing that I don't think I, I don't think you could be in your forties and not have developed at least a, a, like a, a credo. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess the difference is that I attach all of these different personae. Tom Waits, for instance, Mm -hmm. or somebody with knuckle tattoos or whatever. I, I cannot, but see those, Public performances as stemming from their core values—sure, something that they've developed over time. These tattoos are not just decorative; they're expressing experience. They're expressing intention. Tom Waits's whole thing is like, for uh, uh, with each passing year, it becomes more real because he's lived it that much longer. Mm. It's not just a hat. It is a whole life has gone into it. And it's why I have, <clears throat> it's why I have such a hard time wearing a Stetson outside. Mm-hmm. Because although I love Stetsons, I think they're beautiful hats. I appreciate everything about them. I appreciate the history of them. I appreciate the craftsmanship of them. I think they're beautiful. But there is something about the way I've lived my life that is not on the same path as the path of someone who ha- who decides to adopt a Stetson in midlife as a new expression of something. Whatever it would – whatever I would be adopting it to express is not a thing that's consistent with how I've lived up till now. And so – I, I I collect Stetsons. I wear them around the house. But what they would project if I wore them outside is a thing I'm not comfortable with. I'm not comfortable in it because it isn't true to something uh, – uh, t- true to who I am. And I don't feel um, – <clears throat> I don't feel inhibited by who I am. It's not that I sit here and go, I wish I could wear a Stetson outside. But I can't because I'm embarrassed. You know, I I could sh- absolutely wear a stetson outside anytime I wanted, but it is not something that I'm um, comfortable doing. And I feel like this is the this is part of developing a a creed is that it absolutely comes with stakes. Like as you develop a creed and live it over time. You, you preclude being able to do other things. I cannot, um, wear dreadlocks, you know, that's just, it's, it would be impossible for a thousand reasons. Mm. And so those moments when I wake up and I'm like, God, if I had only just chosen dreadlocks instead, you go, you made your choices. You made choices early on. And those choices mean that you can never wear dreadlocks now, not to equate a Stetson with dreadlocks because dreadlocks are a, I mean, I think they can be, um, they can be a religious expression. Sure. And I I don't think a Stetson can quite be a religious expression. Although I guess like a beaver hat worn by a, Orthodox uh, Jew is a – I don't think it's the hat, though. I don't think – I think the hat is cultural, not – well, I mean, is a beaver hat equivalent to dreadlocks? Boy, I'm going to leave that up to the theologians. Yeah, they're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. But I'm, I'm – you know, my 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 fashion is constantly evolving, but it's evolving according to – like. Rules that I've set and that I live according to, Uh, but this is weird. I could, within this system, I think I could get a tattoo.
0: I totally think you could get one.
1: Well, but I mean, I could and not have it be inconsistent. No, that's
0: what I mean. I'm I'm in agreement with you for sure.
1: With the choices I've made.
0: But but if anything, um, I think that would support the choices that you've made in an important way.
1: I feel like if I got a tattoo, it would put me closer to being able to wear a Stetson outside. And that is a fork in the road that I could arrive at now
0: uh-huh. at age... 50. Right, but you I, couldn't have before well, without no, the I tattoo. Could
1: have, I could have at any point along the way. I mean, if I, I think about this a lot. If In 1989, I had decided to... I'd bought a leather jacket. In, 1980, in 1988, I got a leather jacket.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was... The wrong leather jacket.
0: Hmm.
1: I had, I had a lot of friends that had motorcycle jackets at the time. It was, you know, early in, um, Northwest street rock culture and they looked good in leather jackets and I was dicking around with people in leather jackets all the time. And I had a denim jacket, which was a fine solution for me a denim jacket that was that was my jacket but i wanted a leather jacket and i got one but it was it was wrong Mm -hmm. it was wrong but i had invested in it uh money and it was hard for me to hard for me then as it is now to to um to acknowledge that i'd spent money on a thing and the thing was wrong yeah And rather than hold on to it and have it just keeping wrong for years and years. Yeah. Because I didn't want to lose money. I should just write it off. Mm -hmm. Just write that money off and start over again. Well, I didn't. And I still have that leather jacket. And it's been wrong since 1988. (laughs) That's 30 years I've been schlepping this jacket around. And every once in a while, something will happen. There'll be some retro rock show, you know, some kind of event. And I'll pull that leather jacket out and I'll put it on and I'll wear it to the thing. And the whole time I'm like, "Ah, this jacket was never right. It just wasn't right. Now, what I could have done if I'd done it, if I'd known what I know now, is just say, oh, this jacket's got to go back into the pond. Like, I'm going to lose money on it. I'm going to take it down to the ye olde uh, trade and post, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to find the right leather jacket. Now, if I'd found it, if I'd found the right leather jacket in 1988, it's possible that I could be wearing it still, that that leather jacket would be my, like, that leather jacket would have been my signature jacket i probably wouldn't still be wearing it but maybe and that that when you thought of me you thought of me in that jacket yeah and that if i'd had that jacket that would have led inexorably to a pair of boots a pair of boots that went with the jacket and the boots would be a thing
0: yeah they'd be epic i could have in
1: 1988 89 set a course, charted a course through the purchase of one leather jacket along a line where the jacket and the boots suggested like the, how tight my jeans were and the tightness of the jeans suggested whether or not I wore a chain around my neck And all of that fed into a decision at some point to get a tattoo that said man's ruin and had a naked girl with devil horns jumping out of a hoop of fire. Yeah. Like any of that is possible. Those are all possible pasts. But that leather jacket was wrong. And I felt like a I felt corny in it. I remember coming around a corner in 1990 wearing the jacket and a pair of sunglasses and a pair of blue jeans with the knees ripped and and the and and cuffs at the bottom. I came around the corner uh, next to the Seattle Central Community College, and it was the middle of the day, busy day, people coming and going. You know, a big. I was in a group of people that were leaving the school. There was a group of people coming into the school. It was a crowded sidewalk, and I kind of ran headlong into this. Gay man who was about five foot two, just a small, just diminutive in every way. And he was probably 40, but he seemed very old to me then. And this was in the, you know, the pre, this was in that, that moment in gay culture where it, where everyone was working toward being out, Mm -hmm. but gay culture was not mainstream by any means. And it was still, there was still a real thread of like hilariously catty meanness that went through the center of like middle-aged gay culture. 40 year old men were vicious and hilarious. Like there was the greatest, it's one of the great things that was lost. Um, between the nineties and now was this like catty awfulness. That was just wickedly funny, just wickedly funny. I I bump into this guy and he stops, takes a look at me up and down, takes a step back. This is in the middle of the day. I'm just like, it it all happens in a second. And he goes, Oh, you are perfect. (laughs) And he meant it to devastate me right because he was calling me out for how everything was just right out and like the ripped jeans Uh, right right Uh,
0: you're trying too hard almost
1: yeah absolutely is what he was saying and what he was saying was you've done it you have you have like absolutely succeeded in the cartoon (laughs) And then he, you know, he disappeared into the, into the crowd and I was just struck, you know, s- just struck in place. And I was 21, 20, 21. I was 21 and I just felt utterly called out, like just, and nobody's standing. I mean, I wasn't, I, I had been walking with a crowd, but I wasn't with a friend. Nobody would witnessed it. It was just between us. He just wanted me to. You know, and that was what was so wonderful about that wickedness, about that biting humor and that like knowingness then was that he also was doing me a favor. He was, he meant to, he meant to destroy me, but there was a, there was a gift in it too, because he wasn't doing it for an audience. If he had, if he'd been doing it for a crowd of, of 10 people, sure. Maybe it was just to. Just to get a laugh from his crowd, but it was, he felt that sure of what he saw in the world and what he knew in the world to see me and go, no, yes, but no. <laughs> And I was like, yes, but no. And I went home and I took the sunglasses off and I looked at the jacket all red. The jacket was only two years old at the time. And I was like, it's wrong. The jacket is wrong. Like everything about it is just too right. It's too right. And that's what makes it wrong. Like, and I still have the, I still have the picture of that guy's face in my head from that two second encounter. I could still see him. He had a little scrub, little scrubble. On his chin, like mm-hmm. he wasn't beautiful. He wasn't even attractive. He was just—he lived in that in-between world, right, where he could see everything. But if I'd had the right leather jacket on, and he had said "mm-hmm" or something, you know, like yeah, or or like everybody, or the waves had parted a little bit, and you know, I did get that when I stopped wearing the leather jacket. I mean, it took me a while, right? I remember walking down university Avenue with a friend who was a rock musician and a really handsome guy. And he knew he was handsome and he, he flouted that he was handsome, which is a thing, you know, in the, in your twenties, you get handsome friends and they, and they know they're handsome because they've been told they are, and they get things for being handsome. And so he, and you know, and, and, and boys, Boys, uh, rub it in on each other. You know, they, there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of just like, oh, well, we're going to a party, you know, don't worry about me (laughs) type of just like (laughs) asshole behavior. And I'm walking down university Avenue with him and he about halfway up the street, he's like, what the fuck is going on? And I said, what? And he said, we're walking down the street and every girl is looking at you. And I said, huh? Because I was oblivious to it then and now. And what it was was that I was wearing the appropriate – I was dressed appropriately.
0: You had the right for, the right
1: for, jacket. For, no, for who I am. I was wearing a sweater and I had washed my hair but didn't put any product in it. So it was kind of just like it's natural. I was just my natural dumb self but it was appropriate. And And he was like – he was confused because he's used to walking down the street and, and getting all the attention paid to him. And definitely not me, Hmm. me, this shambolic like pile of wool. But at a certain point I realized (laughs) I can't, you know, I can't do, I can't do anything more than like what comes from within. But there is a leather jacket for me, Dan. And for the last 30 years, I've been looking for it. This is the terrible thing. There is a 20 year old in me who still is looking for that jacket. And the problem is I'm 50 now to find that jacket, to find the jacket that would have been right for me when I was 20 and to put it on now, it may be, uh, you know, it's like when you're 65 and you buy a. A 1967, uh, like Dodge Challenger, because it's the car you wished you'd had, and then you're driving around and you're like an old man in a in a hot rod car, and it and it's a thing, but it's a kind of a dumb looking thing. I mean, you know, you can afford it now, right? So you get the car you always wanted, but you can never be 21 in a 1967 Dodge Challenger again. You weren't then and you can't be now. And I think there's a leather jacket out there that I've been looking for all these years. Yeah, I'm just
0: waiting for you to find it.
1: And if I find it and put it on now, I don't think I'm there anymore. I don't think that that, it's a a fear that I have, a fear that I will finally find the coat. I remember the coat. I remember it was hanging up in the rafters at a place called Mike's Old Clothes. And I had them take it down, and it was the right jacket. It was horsehide. It was from the 1940s. And at the time, they wanted $120 for it or something. Which was a lot of money, considering it was a used leather jacket that had It already had quite a bit of road wear on it. And I was like $120. I don't know about that. I mean, Mike's Used Clothes was the place that I went in one time and tried on a pair of boots and walked around the store and they felt weird. And I looked down and they had giant holes in the soles that had been worn through. (laughs) Like I could touch my sock through the bottom. And I was like, hey, this seems like not a feature, more like a bug. And Mike looked at him and was like, oh, yeah, that's no good. You can just have those. And I said, I can have them? (laughs) Because they were steel-toed, ankle-high, basically like Chukka-style, but but black leather, um, like U.S. Navy issue service boots from – from long ago, the Korean War or something like that. They'd been worn through like with love. He gave them to me and I took them up to the cobbler on 15th Avenue and said, can you put souls on these? And he was like, yeah, sure. For $25. And I really searched my feelings like $25 hmm. is it worth it. <laughs> and I said, go for it. And he put vibram souls on them. And I still have those boots, Dan. The boots, the steel-toed boots, which still have those Vibram soles and are still I'm still rocking them 30 years later. I got it Mike's used clothes. Well, what I should have done is bought that leather jacket. But $120? I didn't have $120. I made $120 a week.
0: We would like to say thank you very much to Cashfly. They provide the bandwidth for this show and all the shows on Five by Five. And not only that, but all of the thousands and thousands of podcasts that uh, fireside.fm hosts. That's the podcast hosting analytics platform that I built. Everything is delivered to listeners via Cashfly. They have the best CDN and the most reliable CDN that I've ever used, the best in the business. If you're in podcasting like me or in any other business whose customers want content that's always available, You can give them fast downloads with CashFly. Imagine having your content a single network hop away from all your customers from New York City to Hong Kong. Eliminate CDN outages with CashFly's solid 100% uptime SLA. And you can get a free custom CDN plan tailored to your content delivery needs by visiting 5by5.cashfly.com. Let me spell that for you. C-A-C-H-E. That kind of cash, cashfly, C-A-C-H-E. So it's 5, by five dot 5cashflycom dot Now that special offer ends September 31st, but don't waste time. Check it out. And uh, we sure do appreciate their support for years and years and years. Best CDN in the business, cashfly.
1: But where would I be now? You know, I might have a fucking neck tattoo, Dan.
0: <clears throat> I don't think you would have gone for that. No, I don't think I would have been. That's ridiculous. Like a shoulder for you no no
1: no 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 shoulders no you shouldn't have a shoulder tattoo even now
0: no mm.
1: four forearms, front and back when Biceps. i say shoulder
0: are you think i'm not talking about the back i'm talking oh, about like oh, on okay. the on oh, the well, like high,
1: like where your stripes would be on a military
0: uniform yeah yeah yeah, yeah or if you okay, were oh. if you were an astronaut where the flag would go
1: right i would call i'd call that bicep or
0: like yeah okay yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, shoulder like up over your shoulder blade that's all this new style yeah new style no tattoos on your legs i don't i don't believe yeah, i'm
0: gonna you know i mean i've I, i've seen i've seen good ones but in general i you know i think yeah. i think it depends on the person i think it depends keep on off your
1: person. ankles keep them off your feet i mean i know a lot of people hide them down there hide them on your butt <clears throat> i feel like tattoos are like arms and hands
0: hands though apparently they don't last on your hands very well
1: yeah that's part of the thing they wear they
0: wear off or they wear out because you're moving your hands so much that eventually the they blur and uh i've heard that i don't know if that's true but i've heard that
1: i mean part of the thing about tattoos is that your tattoos get fucked up over time that's kind of what you're that's kind of the game
0: yeah 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 but i mean i think i think they like it it might take the one on your bicep 20 years and the one on your hand might take it a couple years, I don't know. I, th- I feel like you wouldn't get more life out of it. But maybe our maybe our listeners who have hand tattoos can tell me if that's accurate, or maybe it, it, it's not. Uh,
1: well, you know, hand tattoos, I hand tattoos are a thing that I give, um, that I give special dispensation to. I guess personally for myself, because the first time I saw somebody get a tattoo on their hands, I was. Shocked.
0: Yeah. Um, that was a big commitment.
1: Well, and it's just like <clears throat> all those things felt like people deciding definitely they were never going to uh, start in the bank. Uh, you know, they were never going to work in the straight world. They were never going to uh, run for president. Like they were never going to they were never going to meet their fiance's father and have him say, one day you'll inherit my Pontiac dealership. You know, like it was a choice to take a, to take a path away from the straight world permanently. Mm. And for a lot of people like James Swainson, who never ever had any ambition to join the straight world, it wasn't that big of a, sacrifice. When he got that tattoo in high school, he was he was absolutely joining a world. He didn't he didn't really care, I don't think, that he was leaving a world because he never felt like he belonged in that world. He was joining a different world. That tattoo was the first one, the first sign that he had entered a different culture. My friend Mike Mike Squires, who appears on these programs sometimes as a guest character, caricature character, Mike has, Mike is covered with tattoos. He never was going to work in a bank. It wasn't an option that he ever considered. So the first time he got a tattoo when he joined the Marines was a Marines tattoo. Mm -hmm. And it was a tattoo that he was joining a group, not divorcing himself from a group. But for me, every tattoo, it felt more like I was divorcing myself from something than it felt like I was joining something else. Because I had no trouble joining the culture where people wore tattoos. I didn't feel like I needed one to belong. I just didn't want to be permanently divorced Mm. from a culture that didn't have tattoos. And so hand tattoos were like the...
0: That's the, the biggest the, the biggest commitment you could make, maybe besides a face one?
1: At the time, it was bigger because I'd never met somebody with a neck tattoo. That came later, neck tattoo. The first neck tattoo I saw, I was like, oh, wow, you just like go for it. <clears throat> the first neck tattoo that I knew personally um, was Ben from Band of Horses. He got a, a tattoo on his neck. <clears throat> and I... I stood and and just marveled at it. And I was like, turn your head. Let me see it. And he was just like, oh, man. It's <laughs> like, no, I, it's just like so, like even with a turtleneck on, you couldn't disguise it. And he was like, I'm not trying to disguise it, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, wow. It's just like so, like, wow. You're just, you're going to be rock and roll from now on. Like you couldn't even take a job as a security guard in a, high rise with that. Nobody would ever hire you. And he's like, I don't want that. And I don't want it either. Right. I never wanted that job either, but it just, I would just marvel that you would never feel like you needed to, I don't know, hide, I guess like there, some of my greatest feeling of security is my ability or is is my false sense that I could disappear um, like truly disappear and not have anything follow me no no trace no identifying marks Um, and to just be like nope I'm like I'm here I'm located in this place and time and like I'm seen and known and I'm in this place like I'm This is my, these are my people. This is my place. Couldn't, couldn't, I couldn't ever do that. And you know, when Mike got his, when Mike Squires got his knuckles tattooed and his hands, I mean, his, the whole backs of his hands are tattooed. I was like, wow, you know, uh, it's beautiful, but like if they pull your body out of the river. I'd be able to tell it, even if you'd been in the river for a month and a half, I'd be able to tell your stupid ass tattoos. Mm. And he's like, fuck you. I'll sink. I'll sink to the bottom because they'll tie a (laughs) rock around my ankles. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, well, true. I don't know. Like, there's no, there's no way I'm going to get a job in a bank now. And there's no chance I'm going to disappear. Right. There's no. I'm not running like I always felt I was and I'm not like I'm still a nomad mm. in my heart and that that feeling is one of I'm not I'm not a nomad because I'm cuz I can't like forge bonds or make a commitment to a place or a thing or a person Like I'm a nomad because I feel chased and I feel like there's something over the horizon that might be like a brief respite. There's there's some security, some sanctuary, but I never believe in it for long. And part of like wanting that leather jacket was always that that leather jacket would be a, a home, a form of home, because I would wear it every day. The jacket would become the, would become a second skin. And in a way, it's how I use glasses. You know, my glasses are more than just um something that allows me to see like they're a, they're the first, they're the, they're they're a form of armor, but I never found that jacket. And I don't think I, I don't think I, I, well, that's the thing Dan, I understood how important it was. I just never found it. And so it's been a succession of, Not as good jackets (laughs) that ended up, you know, that ended up sidelined, that ended up failing to do the job.
0: We would like to say thank you very much to Simple Contacts. This is the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. Instead of heading to the doctor year after year just to renew your prescription for something you wear daily, you can do it on your own time and terms in just a few minutes. This is vision care for the 21st century. You need to renew your prescription? No big deal. Take five minutes. The Simple Contacts has an online vision test. It gets reviewed by a licensed doctor. You receive a renewed prescription and then you can reorder your contacts. All you need is your current contacts and internet connection and 10 feet of space. Cause it's like an eye exam. Now, even if you're totally out of contacts, they've got an option for you too. and if you have an unexpired prescription and you need more, you just upload a photo of it or your doctor's information and you order the lenses. That's it. They do all the hard work for you. They'll make sure everything is, is right. They verify and confirm your prescription, everything. It's, Convenient, it's fast, it's reliable. I mean, this is designed by ophthalmologists and a licensed doctor reviews every test. So you can just skip the office visit, but not the care. Isn't that awesome? And they have so many reviews five stars over 5,000 times in the App Store because it's an app. Did I mention that? It's an awesome app. You can do this right on your phone, wherever you are. It's so cool. And they've got the best brands of contact lenses, not some weird brand you've never heard of from a foreign nation. No, these are the companies making the amazing brands that you're already using, and they have a special URL. Now, oh, I've got to point out, this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. This is going to j- straighten out your prescription. It's going to get you new lenses. But if you're like wanting to go and check the health of your eye, you still got to go and do that at your regular old uh, eye doctor when you need that. Get $20 off Contacts by going to simplecontacts.com roadwork20. Or you don't even want to go to that URL, that's fine. Just enter the code ROADWORK20, ROADWORK20, when you check out. So again, that'll get you 20 bucks off your contacts. So ROADWORK20 or simplecontacts.com slash ROADWORK20. And we thank them for their continued support.
1: I mean, I have a tendency to make anything heavy. I, I, I ventured a theory the other day that zombie movies were really just a kind of Fun cosplay for fantasies of race war. Oh, and I got a couple of emails from people going, "Are you serious? Like that seems a little bit heavy." Like I love zombie movies, and last night, it just in reply to somebody who wrote me a one sentence email, like, "Like, do you really mean that?" I <laughs> I wrote like two a two page uh, prospectus for a academic paper on how zombie movies are really like um genocide fantasies yeah and i sent it you know and i sent it off to this guy and i was like what am i doing why am i doing that why am i doing that to this poor person like if i really (laughs) wanted to do that i should write it on medium or i should just you know like like he likes zombie movies or maybe he doesn't maybe he doesn't care but but I went down step by step and just dissected like all zombie movie tropes and, and then drew direct parallels to like, like nationalist survivalist, um, narratives on like what's going to happen when the, when the race war starts. I realized I'm just, I just like to make everything, <laughs> everything heavy i guess yeah i don't know the other day I've, I've been thinking about our conversations a lot and and people now when they ask me questions like are you happy i always reflect back on the conversations that we've had here yeah on road work and i and i i kind of had a little moment the other day where i where i said where I guess I saw that I am approaching it from the wrong direction. Um, because when I sit here and say, are you good? Are you good? Are you doing good?
0: Like to yourself? Yeah.
1: And I go, well, you got all this unfinished shit that you're always worrying about. And you got these podcasts that kind of tumble along like, like, Polar bear cubs down a half frozen hill and everything's fine ish, but nothing really is, um, nothing's really taken the world by storm. Nobody, you know, generally well liked, but not like loved really maybe a little, but not never enough, you know? And, uh, and just sort of meh, like, living in this constant feeling and i i did this little just a small flipperoo where i said no wait a minute what if i said um that like what if i just said that what if i asked you would you be happy doing podcasts and working to put out a record that was just, um, the best you could do. Mm-hmm. Would that, would you be happy if you just, um, if I told you that's all you could do? If I, if I put a limitation on what you could accomplish and just said, this is the, you know, this is the, um, we, uh, you are prohibited from doing more than
0: this. Uh huh.
1: Yeah. Would you be happy? And, and I was like, huh, yeah, I mean, sure, pretty much if I were prohibited from doing more, I think I'd be perfectly happy doing what I'm doing. And it was a, it was kind of a a shock because it was a, a, a clear picture that what is making me unhappy is not what I'm doing, but. It's always what I'm failing to do. And if I were prohibited from doing those other things by some natural force and only allowed to do the things I'm doing, I would be pretty content with them. It was kind of like my zombie race war theory, which was that in almost every... Uh, genocide situation just as in zombie movies the people who are doing the killing present themselves first as victims they're victims of in zombie movies you're victims of this great unwashed undisorganized mass of hungry graspers who are trying to in zombie movie case eat your brains right you don't want to have to kill them but you have to kill them Dan yeah You have to mow them down. Otherwise they will take what you take what is valuable to you. They will take your children and
0: your lives. Right. So you're forced to kill them. Against your, you know, that's not who you are, Dan. You're not a murderer. Oh, but are you really murdering anything if it's reanimated and not alive?
1: Right. Are you really murdering them if they're subhuman? If they're subhuman? Absolutely. And that's exactly what genocidal murderers say when you confront them about their crimes. I didn't want to kill them. I didn't want to kill the, the Tutsis. I didn't want to kill the, the, the mountain people of Laos, but I was forced to because they were, well, because they're subhuman first of all, but they were also like coming for us. They were like, we were the victims here even the Nazis had that narrative and you know, it's, it's in that framing of saying I'm a, I may be the one that's forced by history to be the killer, hmm. the, the murderer here, but it's not what I wanted. I'm a peace loving person. I just, um, have to do it and there and and my victims aren't really um they're not really sympathetic I don't have sympathy for them and you shouldn't either because they're not fully um alive or you know they're not fully they're not on equal footing right um and that that idea of of like absolving yourself of responsibility. It's a, uh, it's quite a leap narratively right now to connect that back to what I was saying earlier that I am, res- I'm absolving myself of responsibility for a, for the fantasy of what I could and should be. And just accepting, like, and this is a very tang. I, I, I got tangled up in there somewhere because I'm not, I'm not drawing the, the comparison I initially was trying to make between the, my zombie movie theory theory and the epiphany that if I approached my if I approached my satisfaction index from the other direction, which is to say, like you are artificially limited to what you're accomplishing right now, this is the best you're allowed to do. Not the best that you're capable of the best you're allowed. I would feel that, that I, I mean, I feel that f- false authority would be a great comfort to me.
0: Mm.
1: And I don't know how to inhabit that or animate that authority with something that, that I would take seriously enough. You know, I, I was always told that anything was possible and that's a terrible, terrible thing to say to a kid.
0: (laughs) I mean, like, like say you could be anything you want to be
1: anything you want. You think that's bad? I do. I do. I don't think that's true. First of all, you can't be anything you want. If you want to tell a kid, if you work your ass off starting now, you have a shot to get into the top 100 candidates for a thing you might want to do, at which point you will be in competition against 100 people who have done exactly at what you have done, which is work their asses off starting now to get here. And now you and these hundred candidates are vying for two slots. Good luck. If you aren't in the, if you aren't one of the two, you'll still be somewhere. You'll have worked your butt off and you'll get up there and you'll be in the 98. You'll the group of 98 people who didn't get picked. It's not nothing. You won't go. You won't be back to zero, but if you want to be an astronaut or the president, or a US senator, or the CEO of a company, or a test pilot, or a long distance runner. Like, no, you cannot be those things necessarily. If you start now and work your ass off single mindedly, maybe you can work your way into a position where you're in the top 100 finalists. And that's the best you can do. But you cannot just do anything you want. You can't just loaf your way into anything you want. What an awful thing to tell a kid. Totally, totally, totally false. And and I think adults say that stuff to kids because, because they think, well, shit, I wish I'd done more. <sighs> Maybe if I tell my kid he can do whatever he wants, like, it'll be, uh, I mean, I think that's what happened with my dad. He was oh, yeah. Like, well, I want, you know, I want my kid to be all the things that I wanted or no, 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 that's wrong. I want my kid to accomplish all the things that I was told that I could accomplish, but didn't actually want. And I'm not going to find out whether my kid wants those things either. I'm just going to pass on the, I'm going to pass on the, the mantle, the obli- the, the obligation. My my dad didn't want to do any of those things either. But he was told he should and he didn't. And then he told me I should or could rather. You take the SH off your letterman sweater and you turn could into should. Should.